0: Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast with Dr. David O. Ogaga. This is going to be kind of part three of our study on Romans 14. Talking about the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Righteousness, peace, joy and the Holy Spirit. So, uh... Romans 14, 17, once again. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And verse eighteen For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. That's what we are considering. Uh, which are we shall be coming down to all of these, but we're still looking at the definition of meat and drink, which we kind of started last uh, two sections now, and uh, it becomes very obvious to us that meat and drinks have nothing to do with uh, food, have nothing to do with clothes. It has to do with a system of worship that God was doing away with. Amen? And uh, that meaning, God intends that we have the best, if you will, the best of life. Uh, he promised he could clothe the lilies on the fields. he could give food to the sparrows, the flies, he also can take care of you, amen? So we are not dealing with the issue of meat and drink in relation to material things or what you can possess in life. Because God said if you seek the kingdom, all these things shall be added, amen? All right, so let's get down again to Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, And see, we've been able to define precisely meat and drinks as to do with the religious system of the Jews. And the scripture will say, let no man again, according to Colossians 2.16, begin to tell you what to drink or what not to eat. In other words, he's saying, don't go back to the Jewish system of worship. Hallelujah. So Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, I want us to begin to read from verse number eight again. Now, if you look at Hebrews nine, if you take your time to read from verse number one, you're going to understand that God will describe in the tabernacle in the wilderness, and uh, he actually specified the two compartments, in the tabernacle, which is the holy place and the most holy place. The holy place he called the first, the most holy place, he called the second. And he was speaking of certain things and said, these things were there, of which uh, so at the time they were written, for instance, they couldn't speak much about them. But now we can talk much about them because the Spirit is unveiling to us what it stands for. Amen. So Hebrews 8, I mean 9 verse 8 says, The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all, was not yet made manifest while at the first tabernacles were yet standing. Now verse 9, which was a figure for the, day, the time then present, which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did his service perfect as touching the conscience. Now that's the key thing we're looking at last week, the issue of conscience. Amen. Now verse 10 says, now but don't forget that he says, those who were doing those services, they can come to the place of perfection as touching the conscience. And so, meaning that in the true sense of it, true worship has to do with conscience. Because they were offering these sacrifices and they're doing a lot of ablutions. But that doesn't mean diverse washings or baptisms, if you will. You go to the market, you come back, you wash your hands so that you can be clean. Uh, So, let it not be that a heathen touched you while in the market. So, you need to watch. Uh, the best picture you can get is what you find the Muslims do before they pray. It's a kind of oblation. Okay, fine. So now, that's what the Hebrew, the, 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 the Jewish people, the, those who are worshiping Judaism as well, were in Judaism. That's what they were doing. If you go to the market and you come back, you need to wash. Before you eat, you need to wash. No, all of us do that washing anyway. It's another form of baptism before you eat your food. Eh? Yes, you're doing it because you don't want to contact giants or whatever. Uh, but for them, so that those who touch you in the market or you rub your body weight do not contaminate or defile you. So when you come back, you need to wash. You touch your dead corpse, you need to wash. Anything you touch, you've got to wash. And that brings you to them, to the place of cleanness or holiness before God. Amen. But the Bible is saying all those washing does not touch the conscience of man. That means you could do all of that and still be defiled in your conscience. But that doesn't mean you could still be having wrong spirit towards people, towards your fellow and even towards God, if you will. Okay, let's go to verse 10. The Bible says, We stood only in meat and drinks. Is it clear? So it said the kingdom of God is not meat and drinks. So when he said, We stood only in meat and drinks, meaning it's referring to the type of worship that they had. Meat and drink therefore speak about all those washings that does not touch the conscience of man. All right. And diverse watchings are kind of ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. And I want you to know that this evening the orthosis, the word reformation in the Greek is the orthosis. The orthosis means to strengthen thoroughly, a kind of rectification. Amen. To strengthen thoroughly. In other words, you could be doing something, but it's not right, it's not straight. And the Bible says all those washings that was going on was imposed on the practitioners, imposed upon the practitioners until the time of reformation. So the reformation time is when things are strengthened out. And the thing that God began to strengthen out things is when Christ was given Galatians 4. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Alright, so in other words, all those things that they were practicing were supposed to end. When Christ comes. A new type of worship is supposed to be put into place. Praise the Lord. So it was made until the time of Reformation. The time of the Othosis. Okay. Alright. The next thing we say, verse number 11 says. "But Christ being calm and high, praise of good things to come. By a great and a more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Referring to the tabernacle in the wilderness. Amen. Okay, verse 12. Not by the blood of golds or calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hallelujah. Verse 11. For if the blood of bulls and of gold and of ashes of the, of, of the high fire sprinkling the unclean, Sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself with a support to God, poured what? Your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. And I'll try to explain what conscience means last week when we're dealing with these. Like I said, conscience is a part of the super ego in man, the psychological analysis. That transmits command and admonitions to the ego. Your volitions are a function of your conscience. Alright? So now, God is saying in the new order of the reformation to strengthen our things, it's not just dealing with your outward worship, but dealing with your innermost worship, which is your mind. By implication, thank you Lord. By implication, if you truly, I was trying to say this, maybe you're going to find time to teach that even also in church here. But if you want to teach the tabernacle, you are not going to be teaching the tabernacle from outside to the inside. That is from the altar court to the most holy place. You don't teach the tabernacle that way. The new order in terms of reformation, the tabernacle starts from the most holy place outward. Because the redemption begins from your spirit. Down to your soul. From your soul to your belly. Okay? So, we're going to be teaching that as time goes on. But so we we'll understand this. We're talking about the thing that works. Now, it simply means this. That your action is judged by your reason for doing what you did. Amen? God judges the motive for your actions. That is what God is dealing with. So you find that that blood cleanses the conscience of man so that your motives could be right. Hallelujah. And so Jesus will talk about those who worship the Father in spirit and what? And in truth. Okay. Right, let's move on. Now, the conscience actually, it is a sense of consciousness of the moral goodness or evils of man's own conduct intentions or character together with a feeling, an obligation to do right or be good. Okay. Uh, don't bother. Let me speak a little bit of the power of the conscience. The power of the conscience. Amen. That God is dealing with, the power of the conscience. Can we turn to the book of John chapter 8? I'll read just one verse. John chapter 8. Power of the conscience. Hallelujah. I look at verse 9. Only verse nine. You know, this is the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. Okay, and then uh, she was brought to Jesus. All right, are we there? Okay, and we are told that Jesus was trying to write down some things, and uh, by the time he lifted up his face, he found that everybody is gone. So the question is, verse number nine. The Bible says, John eight nine, and they which heard him, when he said, He who have not seen let him take the false tomb and cast it on the woman. Remember that? Okay. The Bible says, and they who heard him being convicted by what? Their own conscience went out one by one. Beginning out the earth, even unto the least or the last. And Jesus left alone and the woman standing in the midst. What convicted them? Their conscience. Okay. So we find that some people's conscience are alive. And some other people's conscience are dead. Now I'm going to read a powerful scripture now that I will challenge your thinking about this. Because to me it's very, very important. The issue of conscience. So many of us as Christians we don't have conscience. Now I'm thinking you may speak in the Holy Spirit. You may be speaking in tongues but you don't have conscience. Now, in that instant, if you're speaking in tongues, doing all that you're doing, and you don't have the right conscience, you are still having what you call dead walks. They are all still dead walks. So, let's get down to Romans 2. Let me show you something here. What, what conscience really does, and how powerful conscience is in relation to worship. Romans 2. I'm going to read from verse 12. The power of the conscience in the man in relation to worship, in relation to doing those things which are supposed to be what God wants or what God doesn't want. You know, sometimes when people keep on doing some things and you say, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Now there's nothing the wrong. But I think if we need to be praying for these people, we should pray that God will cleanse their conscience. Because if God cleanses your conscience, they'll get to know that what you're doing is either right or wrong. And often we perhaps liken those who have kind of dead conscience to be people that the devil is working on. We don't see anything beyond the devil in what people do. Look at these people. The Bible tells us in John chapter eight that they were convicted where in their conscience. And they realized that what they were doing is wrong. They left. Are we there in Romans 2? I'm reading from verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Verse 13. But all the hearers of the Lord are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Now I want you to begin to look at this picture. They don't have the laws written down they don't have what to call for instance the Bible but they do the things which he who is supposed to have the Bible is doing and the Bible says in that instant they become a law unto themselves now it's not a law as to do evil it's to it's a law as to do what is in God's will are you, are you getting what I'm talking about so how are they doing that with God approves and yet they don't have the Bible Good Verse 15, look at that Could We show the work of the Lord Written where? In their hearts Their conscience Also bearing The witness And they are taught the meanwhile Excusing all what? Accusing all what? Excusing One another Can you get that? I want you to look at this critically tonight and say the power of the conscience. And this is what the Bible is saying. God's spirit comes to clean our conscience or the blood of Jesus cleans our conscience. Why is it cleaning our conscience? So that we can serve with a pure conscience, knowing what is wrong and knowing what is right. And the Bible is saying there are people, the heathens, for example. because it was writing to the uh, Jewish believers, if you will, and he's saying, hey, come on, listen to me. Those people you call heathens, we do not know how the law, Moses wrote. But by reason of their conscience, they do those things which the law even says. Now he said, you watch this. It is not the man that have the law that we be excused by God. If there's a man that does what the law says, that cannot be excused by God. Are you getting this? Therefore, the man that does not have the law and is doing what the law says is justified before God. Where then is your boasting for being a Christian? If he can do what the unbelievers are not doing by reason of their conscience. Are you listening to me? To me, this is serious. Okay, I want to read it from the Living Bible, the Living Translation. I think I like it this way. He, God, punished sin wherever it is found. He will punish the heading when they sin, even though they never had God's written laws for them or written laws for them down in their hearts. They know right from wrong. Or sometimes excuses them. And God repented the Jews for sinning because they have these written laws but don't obey them. They know what is right but they don't do it. After all, salvation is not given to those who know what to do unless they do it. Verse 16 says, The day will surely come when at God's command, Jesus will judge the secret lives of everyone, their innermost thoughts and motives. I want you to see what he judges. Amen? This is all part of God's great plan, which I proclaim. I want you to see what God judges. What does he judge? Innermost thoughts and what? Motives. So the question is, whatever you are doing or whatever you are saying, what is the motive? Because that is where your judgment comes. Now, the issue is, if you have a good conscience washed by the blood of Jesus, your motive becomes right in what you are doing and what you are saying. Meaning, at that instance, The laws of God have been fulfilled in your life. So it's not a matter of, this is what the Bible says. No. It is a revelation now of that which is written where? In your heart. By written of your conscience. So what does God judge? Your inner thoughts. Innermost thoughts. And motives. Secret lives of everyone. their innermost thoughts and motives. I want you to understand that. So we are saying Christ's blood cleans your conscience so that your motives become right in anything you do. That is where true worship comes in. Hallelujah. So the kingdom life is a kingdom of pure motives in your utterances, in the things you do. Whatever actions you're taking, it's not a matter of being legalistic. It's not a matter of following some prescribed codes. That is not kingdom life. Because those can be done for the outward man, but it doesn't touch your motives. Now you can write a document for a specific reason which will benefit your motive, but it's not something that benefits the man that you are going to administer such a thing on. Praise the Lord. I want you to understand this tonight. Very important. I tried to look at the Wikipedia, uh, general encyclopedia, Wikipedia. I tried to find out that word is conscience. It says conscience is the aptitude, the faculty, the intuition or judgment of the intellect that distinguishes right from wrong. Conscience is the aptitude. The faculty, the intuition or judgment of the intellect that distinguishes right from wrong. Hallelujah. Now, if you go further, I'm going to explain something here. The, he went further to say moral judgment of moral judgment may derive from norms, principles, and rules. Okay. For instance. We could make a rule and say, don't sit at the back seat. Okay? That is a simple rule. You come to church and your conscience tells you there is a law that says don't sit at the back seat. Is that okay? Are we together? It's a simple law. It's a norm. It's a principle. Now your conscience is alive only because you're responding to that. Okay? Okay? Are you getting what I'm talking about? So, you can say, well, you have a good conscience because you're responding to that. What about if there is no law that says don't sit at the back, but you walk into fellowship and you find that the best position to sit ordinarily should be in front so that you can congregate without somebody telling you to sit at the back. Your conscience is at work. Let's put it this way. We are all this way. Now you want to fellowship and you want to sit on the other side. It is still the same hall, But your conscience makes you feel it's not right to sit there. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Your conscience is alive without a law written down. The one that we wrote down before just don't sit at the back. We can punish you for that. We can say punish you for that. But you see, you can sit at the back without really not wanting. I mean, you can come to the front not really wanting to come to the front. In other words, through the law, we are forcing you to respond to what is right. Meaning your conscience is not alive. So, a man whose conscience is alive is the one that does the right thing without being pushed to do it. It's a man that does what needs to be done without a specific law written down about it. Hallelujah. Okay, let's put it this way. Let me ask this. <laughs> On Saturdays, Saturday, certain things I was trying to say, some things about pastors. You can give a time, for instance, and say, Well, we need to meet by five o'clock. But you find that some of us unconsciously sometimes don't come by five. Amen? Now, what happens to you when you don't get there exactly 5 o'clock? Do you have a disturbance in your spirit? It means your conscience is alive. But you have to look at it this way. Sometimes you find the same people who perhaps may come late, but they walk as if they are just going to, they are just strolling on the street. Have you noticed that? They are late to fellowship but they're just walking and, and the method is going nobody but they are just walking. They don't have conscience. Your conscience is not responsive. You are late. It, the is displays on you. In fact, you should be thinking of the messages or the part you've already missed in the messages. You need to hurry up to catch up. But you're still walking, strolling as if uh, nothing has happened. Your conscience is not responding. So it's not a matter of law. Or will you want somebody to have a cane by the gate? So if you come late, like primary school, secondary school, give you two strokes. Yeah, you know, give you two strokes because he came late to school or something like that. So that's what we're saying. Moral judgment may derive from norms, principles, and rules. But it ought not to be so. Because if your moral judgment is coming from principle and rules, it's like the laws written down. But now your conscience is being judged. You follow divine principles without external laws guiding you. Doing that which is right and wrong. Amen? I'm able to distinguish. Okay. Uh, In psychological terms, in terms of psychology, conscience is defined or described as leading to feelings of remorse when a human... Commits action that goes against your moral values, and to feelings of rectitude or integrity when actions conform to such norms. And that's what I've described. Psychologically, if you are late, there is a response that you are supposed to put in place. What's the response? Oh, I'm late. And you're going to be in a hurry. You know, that dressing up or changing, or you know, that's psychologically, it's where it's supposed to be. In that instance, your conscience is alive. You are responding to the norms which is already placed in the local assembly or in the home that you ought to be here at this particular time. Praise the Lord. Now, for instance, Max was to fly at about 2 o'clock and he left where he was going to the airport and there was heavy traffic. Now he became very comfortable because he you know to get there on time to board. Now, you see, that was not... A conscience. Did you get what I'm talking about? Yeah. An external force is pulling him to respond quickly to the airports. Because if he doesn't get on time, he misses flights That was not conscience. That is not what I'm saying. The only part you can bring it into me a conscience is because he has to leave where he was early enough. Because he has a time frame to be at the airport. Hallelujah. So conscience, therefore, is the major center of the power of the decision that we make in life in relation to our our lives and our worship. Conscience is the major center of the power of the decisions that we make in life in relation to even our worship. That's a conscience. So now, the Bible talks about cleansing our conscience. Remember that? So, the cleansing of our conscience by the blood of Jesus is for the laws of God to be written where? In our hearts, that we may respond to the laws of God from the inner man and not from a written down code. Can you get a picture? Now the question is how many of us are truly born again because this is the test if we claim to be born again if we claim to have received the blood of Jesus and our conscience is still not responsive as it should be then I don't know how much of the blood we've received hallelujah because don't forget the level of cleansing that takes place in your conscience determines your motives and your innermost thoughts. Am I right? So when you see many of us believers and Christians do the things we do, and they baffle you, and you'll be wondering if a Christian is doing this, what then is the determining factor? The conscience has not been properly cleansed, if I may use the word. By implication, we have not truly received the blood to do a major work in our conscience. Listen, what I'm sharing with you is the key, as far as I'm concerned, as far as kingdom life is concerned, this is the key. Why do you do what you do? Why do you even give the offering you give? Why do you bless people? What is your motive? It's so crucial conscience. Hallelujah. Are we sitting together? To me, this is is vital. I often question myself, whatever thing I do, why do I do what I'm doing? Because remember what we read before, talking about a time when Christ had judged the secrets and the innermost thoughts and world motives of everything you do. Everything you do. Judgment is not necessarily, you know, if you look at it very critically, you see, assuming this has to produce of flowers or some plants. The issue is not the plant. If you want to stop this plant from producing, what you do? You do with the roots. So God is not judging the flowers, which is what you do, He's judging the reason you do what you do. Did you get that? Why did you do what you do? Why did you do it? The action. Why the action? He's not judging the action. He's judging the motives. Could it be it's one of the reasons why that woman was excused? I don't know. But any time Christ is to bring forth judgment, it is the motive for doing what you do that is important to him, not what you've done. Hallelujah. Okay, watch this. I think in Matthew 7, the Bible says, When you do good, don't blow your trumpet. Did it say so? No. Did the Bible say we should do good? It said we should do good. So why is it saying don't blow your trumpet? The motive. Did you get that? In other words, if your motive of doing good is for people to see that you are the one doing that. In fact, the scriptures say already you've received your reward. So now you find that your motive is connected to the reward you get from God. Anytime. Why do you do what you've done? Kingdom life side demands that our conscience will respond to God's mind. Because coming before the judgment is of Christ is to have your conscience what examined before him. This is what people don't know. This is why even many sides themselves don't know. So that they do ministry with a wrong motives. Everything you do, once it is wrong, judgment is there for you. Okay. Are we still together so far? Let's turn to the book of False John chapter 3. To me, this is very crucial. I may just want to get out of it by next week, but the more I meditate upon it, the more I begin to see things. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible tells us 2nd chronicle, I'm sure, 25. We read that on Sunday. Talk about Amaziah that did all wonderful things for God, but not with a pure heart. Can you remember that? Not with yeah. a pure heart. He did the right thing. What naturally you see to be called right thing. But the motive for doing what he did as far as God was concerned was wrong. Can you imagine God putting such things down on record? Conscience. Are we there in 1 John 3? Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence towards God. Do you find it there? Huh? The issue is the heart. Now the heart that condemns and doesn't condemn is a heart that is alive. Because, like we read in the book of Romans, chapter 2, it said the heathens who don't have the law, they are conscious whether excuse them or cause them to do that which is right or wrong. Can you get that? Meaning your conscience is alive. It's functioning. So here the Bible is saying, if your heart doesn't condemn you, because, now, one of the ways by which your heart will condemn you is, is in agreement with the Holy Spirit. As a believer, when you come to a place where your heart is asking you not to do some things, that you know it's like saying the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Is that all right? You don't need anybody to start praying about it. You don't need anybody. Just know that this thing is not right. Your spirit is telling you it's not right. The Holy Spirit is you, your conscience that what you are doing is wrong. Period. And He says if your heart condemns you, then you know we have confidence towards God. If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence towards God. In relation to the Father, whatever we ask God, what, what do we do? We receive. But if you're praying for things and your heart is condemning you, then you have no confidence with God and you can't get what you're praying for. Conscience. The seat of the power of volition to do that which is right or wrong. Next week, maybe, as we progress, I may decide to leave it this way or to push on. And you begin to see people whose conscience, were dead. We have people that have snake conscience. We have high minus and Alexander make shipwreck of their conscience and their faith. We'll touch that maybe next week. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? You can see how powerful the issue of conscience is as far as you're concerned. Your worship is all centered on nothing but what? Your conscience. Let's get on to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, I'm reading from verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Are you there with me? If the first covenant, the Lord of Moses, if there was no fault in the first covenant, there wouldn't have been a need to look for another one. I can give you two reasons why the first one is faulty. Number one, it was external. Everything, all the ceremonies, everything was complete. what external. The laws were external. They were written in a tablet or so Amen? Are we together? Hallelujah. Number two reason, it was a covenant between God and man. Both of them came together to make the covenant. Man said... I will do. God said, I will do. Both of them came together. It's like a marriage ceremony. Exodus 19 down to 20. Is that okay? All the things you've asked us to do, we will do. That's marriage. But then, the woman broke the law. And so when God looked at it and find that, it's not going to be possible for man to keep his part of the covenant. He will not want to make a covenant he will enter into by himself without you, you coming in. So the New Testament, you are not part of it. He made it by himself. He swore by himself. He took the oath by himself. He doesn't want to bring money because man will still break it. Are you following what I'm saying here? So now the Bible says if the first had no faults, there wouldn't have been need for a second. So, but finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, does that make sense to you? House of Israel, house of Judah? The two kingdoms in the days of uh, was that Rehobam, son of Solomon. Remember that? To your tent, oh Israel. So two kingdoms came. So is the kingdom of Israel, kingdom of uh, of Judah, kingdom of Israel, Samaria, kingdom of Judah, you know whatever. Okay. Now, verse nine. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, said the Lord. Can you can you get that? They continued not. They couldn't fulfill the part of the covenant. God said, I don't have need of these people anymore. Hallelujah. Now verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those that see of the Lord. I will put my laws where? Into their mind. And write them where? In their hearts. And I will be to them what? A God. And they shall be to me what? A people. There's a new order. And verse 11 says. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor. And every man his brother, saying, "Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to what to the greatest." Hallelujah. What does it mean to know here? To me, here is not just the merely knowing about God. He who knows God walks by the laws of God, loves God, keeps His commandments, knows what he hates and what he loves. Hallelujah Are you following this? But the key thing here is I'm going to write my laws in their hearts So It is not going to be A refrain point for the life you live Okay You see A lot of people can do some things And still be quoting the Bible Have Have you noticed that? They try to make the Bible to support The things they are doing Even if their motive is wrong so, it becomes a reference point. But God is saying, no, 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 no. It's no longer a reference point. Now, I'm not against the Bible. You read the Bible, I read the Bible too. That's not what I'm saying. But God is saying, unlike the laws that were written in the tablets of stones, the time comes when there will be no external point of reference. The reference is going to be from where? Your conscience. That is a true worshiper. These are the men who are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Your motive for whatever thing you do is right, influenced and motivated by the Holy Spirit. Because the laws that were in the tablet, they are all now written where? In your heart. So your life is now a reflection and a manifestation of the law that are now written in your heart. Your conscience. Hallelujah. Are we still together? Praise the Lord. Now, what is a good conscience? For instance. I'm going to say a few things here, but I'll continue with this next week. A good conscience is maturity in Christ. That to me is a good conscience. When somebody says he has a good conscience, that means somebody who is matured in Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter eleven. Oh, what else? Chapter eleven, chapter four, verse eleven, please. Ephesians four, verse eleven. Are we all there? The word says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets. And some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we are come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto what? A perfect man, unto the measure of the stature. Of the fullness of Christ. Somebody used to minister me from this passage, let me say. It talks about the knowledge of the Son of God. Meaning there ought to be another knowledge. And that has to do with the knowledge of the Son of Man. Knowledge of the Son of Man is the fullness of the measure to me of the Adamic life. Knowledge of the Son of God is the fullness of the expression of the Christ life. So there are two knowledge you can possess. Amen? Right. Now the word perfect unto a perfect man is the word in the Greek which means complete. In various application of labor, for instance, growth, mental and moral character. he speaking of completeness, full age, a perfect man. Now go to verse 14. When you are complete or perfect or matured, what happens? You see, when you are complete or perfect or matured, in the knowledge of Christ. Are you getting that? What follows? That we henceforth, look at verse 14, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby the lie world. in wait to deceive. And no more children. Why is this so? Hebrews chapter 5 Go to Hebrews 5. We are no more children. Hebrews 5. Are we there? Look at verse 13. For everyone that uses milk is unscathed in the world of righteousness. For he is a babe. Who is a babe? A child. They have no experience. But strong men belonging to them that are full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to design both good and what? And evil. Can you get that? Are you still there with me? When you are matured in Christ, your faculties function to distinguish between that which is right and wrong. Meaning your conscience is really working now. It's just like you have your normal senses. For instance, if if, if they blindfold you, you can still touch something and you can say, this is a laptop, this is this, this is that. Am I right? It's possible. Now, you're doing that through feelings with your fingers. You can can sense with your ear, you can sense with your nose, you can sense with your eyes, you can sense with your skin. Is that okay? The five senses. All right. Your soul possesses almost the same thing. Five senses. What the Lord is saying here is, when you come to the place of maturity in Christ, when your conscience begins to function, you will know what is wrong and what is right only children don't know that let me give you an example a child can pick a stone and put it in his mouth and pick bread and put it in his mouth am I correct it doesn't know the difference between a stone and bread He takes anything babies anything they don't even different between colors a child picks anything Put a child on the floor. Anything the child sees, he picks. Whether it is food, whether it is stone, whether it is gravel, anything, because they can't distinguish between that which is food and that which is ordinary objects. And the Bible says, "When you are matured in Christ, you can't be tossed to and fro." What is the meaning of that? You've come to be able to come to where you can distinguish between wrong doctrine and false doctrine. All put together, your conscience is now alive. Hallelujah. I want you to understand meaning, God intends us to grow in our knowledge as Christians. Hallelujah. That means every day God is expecting some measure of growth in your life. Now, the things you did yesterday, you can't be repeating them today. Because you should have been able to know that what I did yesterday was wrong. Hallelujah. Bible says those who belong, who have come to the place of maturity in God. Those who have come to a full age. They can have their senses exercised. The design between good and evil. Amen? Hallelujah. So, exercising here is basically the faculty of the soul. Your soul realm. Your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions. Because you know conscience has to do with feelings. Remember that? And all of that is found within what? Your soul realm. So, we are talking about people whose soul realm have grown to the place of maturity. Now, it is not what you preach. It is what flows out of them. They can know what is wrong. They can know what is right. Third John, I think, verse 2, the scripture will tell you, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be here even as your soul prospereth. So in other words, there is a need for the prosperity of your soul. Your mind, your will, your emotion, your intellect. I think we must come to the place where what makes God cry will make us cry. We don't cry because we need to cry. We cry because he is crying. <laughs> that could be difficult. But what about the scripture that says my thoughts are not your thoughts. Remember that? That means God thinks and thought is a function of the soul. Are you seeing that? I know the thought that I think towards you. Did the Bible say so? That means God thinks. So if thinking is a function of the soul. And emotions are also a function of the soul. It means God is not saying you can think like me. What he's saying is you are not thinking like me. Meaning what makes him cry should make us cry. What makes him happy should make us happy. Amen? And I'm saying this is a function of the soul. So when the Bible says, exercising and designing to the senses to know between good and evil, talking about those who come to the place of maturity, knowledgeable understanding of God's intent and purposes, that what moves God begins to move you. What God hates, you hate. It's not because it's written down, it's not because it's a law code. It's not because it's my church doctrine. No, I'm not talking about that. Because every denomination have their own petty doctrines, but there is one God, one Spirit, one baptism, one body. Am I talking to someone here? Hallelujah. So when we have this new life in Christ. We're talking about living the life where our belief system in Christ is being colored, motivated by the spirit of Christ. That whatever thing we do, our motive is right. Praise the living God. Amen. So, number one, like I said, the assembly good and evil, we're no longer children. tossed to and fro. We can't just receive all manner of doctrines and swallow it. Like children who cannot distinguish between fish and, and stone or something like that. Is that all right? Okay. Talking about strong meat. Strong meat basically are divine truth. Strong meat are divine truth, which relates to perfection. You can check Hebrews chapter 6 when he says Let's move on out from the elementary principles. He's talking about moving to a strong meat now. So we go to strong meat, talking about divine truth relating to perfection. And it belongs to those who are full age, who by reason, that word reason also has to do with habits, which it is the strength of spiritual understanding arising from maturity or spiritual age. So who by reason exercise their senses to discern between good and evil. Amen? Are we there together? Final scripture, Acts 24 verse 16. So, when you are exercising yourself, which is the habitual attitude of doing that which, you know, God wants and God intends, God plans, it becomes something which has to do with things done in readiness, as that when they should be done, in cheerfulness. God loves every cheerful giver, for instance, that is given, but with cheerfulness. Are you there with me? All right, the motive. And then the profit you're going to get out of that, all is centered on your maturity in God. Are we then in Act 24? Let's look at verse 16. Paul is speaking here. And herein do I exercise myself to have a conscience, always a conscience. How many times? Always a conscience void of offense towards God and what? Towards man. Amen? Paul said, I try the best I can all the time. To exercise myself. Remember what Paul is speaking? He's was also speaking to the Hebrew children, Hebrew people exercising your senses. Can you get that? I always exercise myself to live a life void of offense towards God and towards man. Not a question of where. I don't care what you think about it. I'm okay with my God. I'm settled with my God. That is not true. Your conscience must be free towards God and towards man. Because if you go back to Romans 14, you say, he that serve God in this thing, Romans 14, 17, 18, he that serve God in this thing is acceptable unto God and approved of men. So don't tell me your relationship to man doesn't matter. Don't tell me that. Don't preach that scripture to me. The way you relate to man doesn't matter. Well, I'm with my God. I settle with my God. No, 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 no. Is a conscience always, not sometimes, void of offense towards God and towards? God. For further information and message order, please call plus two three four eight zero three four eight one zero eight six nine, or you can visit our website at www.gkai.net. God bless you.